0: Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the books to last podcast. Before we get into this episode I just wanted to share some information with you about some guest appearances uh, if you wanted to go and check me out on some other people's podcasts. So most recently I featured on a podcast called Chloe Made Me Study. It's not really about books, a bit different to this one but um, it's a big favourite of mine personally. I had a lot of fun talking about Uh, my own relationship with uh, non-traditional study and my own sort of pathway in that area so if you wanted to get to know a little bit more about uh, what I do in my working working life uh, feel free to go and check that out over there. And coming up, August is going to be a big collaboration month, it would seem for me. I am going to be on the Bookish Banter podcast with Kirsten and Tatiana, who you'll remember did an episode with us recently. Uh, That episode is due to air around August 23rd, so um, go and check me out over there. Another slightly less traditional I suppose collaboration is with a podcast called books movies and musicals oh my which I'm really excited about because I'm going to be talking about a Disney movie which I will not disclose at this time that episode will be out in September but I have included a little teaser promo at the end of this episode so if you stick around you'll be able to hear a little bit more about books movies and musicals oh my i'm really really excited about this one um it's going to be a lot of fun and my final collaboration i wanted to mention to you is my guest appearance on the child of the library podcast now when this podcast comes out the episode will either already be out in the world or it will be coming out the sunday following this podcast which feeds really nicely into this week's episode of the podcast as we are joined by Marika, which is a beautiful name that I'm sure my terrible English self will butcher at some point during this episode, but I hope I pronounced it right here, from the Child of the Library podcast, and we had so much fun. As I always do when I get the chance to talk to Marika, um, we talk about buddy reads, some fantastic series you can all check out, as well as some classics all as part of her list of books she will take with her when she is cast away to her mystery remote location. I hope you enjoy. welcome to Books Last Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um, how are you doing? I'm so fine. Thank you so much. We, um, we did try, we've tried to record this episode quite a few times. We finally got here in the end. I'm very, very excited to hear your long-awaited list. Um, but for now, what are you reading right this moment?
1: <laughs> Actually, it's very funny because uh, in because we're doing this collaboration and when we talked the last time on my podcast we talked about Jane Austen and how back then I was trying to get more into Jane Austen and I was just in the middle of Emma and since then I have finished four Jane Austen novels and I'm currently on my fifth one <laughs> so I just have got two to go so I'm pretty gotten good on that goal that I have to finish all of them this year so I'm currently reading Sense and Sensibility but I'm just like two chapters in so I don't have
0: much to say about it yet. Uh, sense and sensibility is one of the ones that I haven't. I mean, see, I'm so jealous, so proactive in the la- I mean, as um, Mary mentioned, we uh, discussed Jane Austen when I guested on her podcast, *Child of the Library*, which was a really fun episode, and people should go check that out. Um, and we did talk about Jane Austen uh, because Jane Austen is one of my favorite authors. Although, regrettably, I've not had chance to read all of her books. Um, but you have read some of my favorites of hers now, and we've been messaging about your thoughts and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, we're about to start doing a buddy read, aren't we, soon? So That'll be exciting. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So the book that we are going to be buddy reading is Skyward
1: by Brandon Sanderson, which is super exciting because I've had it on my TBR for, I don't know, two years or something ever since it came out because Brandon Sanderson is one of my favourite authors
0: and I haven't read that
1: of him. So yeah, we're tied.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it will be my first Brandon Sanderson novel because I've got the Mistborn trilogy but never got around to reading it. And Skyward was on again on my TBR for ages because I remember just seeing it and thinking oh that looks really really good and I want to read it but um I have now finally got the opportunity to so I'm going to be uh, I think listening to the audible audiobook for that one for our buddy read but yeah lots of exciting books coming up um what am I reading at the moment it's a good question <laughs> too much too much at the same too much. Time. i think i've got a few different books i'm halfway through um the imitable in- inimitable I don't, in, 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 one of the jeeves books by pg woodhouse <laughs> um because i've never read them before but i was recommended them and stephen fry does the audiobook so of course it's fantastic so <laughs> um i've been listening to that and oh it's just they're just fun silly novels about lot of nonsense that almost doesn't matter but that kind of makes it even better they're just these perfect sunshine worlds where nothing ever goes wrong um, or at least everything that does go wrong aren't real problems because they're all hopelessly rich and got too much time on their hands um so yeah they're really fun um reads so I'm really looking forward to that at the moment and I've had to put pause on some other books because I just wasn't in the right mindset for Mm. them Um, but that's enough for books that we're reading at the moment um for any listeners who haven't listened to the podcast before uh, books to last podcast challenges book lovers uh, to pick the five books that they would take with them if they were cast away forever to a isolated desert location and deserted location um However, our guest, before they share those books, gets to pick whatever deserted location they would like to go to. So where would you like to go to be deserted with your books? Actually,
1: the first location that came to mind is actually where I got my wedding proposal. It's Uh an island in the middle of uh, the Lake Garda in Italy. And it's actually a private island and they've got this like very, very beautiful, it's, it's not really a castle, but it's like a mansion, so to say, but like, you know, in the Mediterranean style and it's got this beautiful, beautiful balcony with like a great view over the garden and with a great view over the lake. And I can so very well imagine to just plop a chair there, like a very, very comfortable one, have a little side table, with, I don't know, a beverage of my choice and my stack of books, and I can just
0: read them with a great view. <laughs> yeah, so uh, like a chateau type uh, yeah. deal. Uh, see, I've always wanted to go to Lake Garda. That's an amazing proposal. Uh, your fiance is a genius, <laughs> very well chosen. I applaud him on that one. Um, and uh, they, I've always wanted to go to Lake Garda because. I I think it's where Letters to Juliet is set the sort of rom-com movie with Amanda Seyfried they do some oh yeah yeah it's closer yeah 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 they do some bits in Lake Garda and then they do bits in Verona and a bunch of other places in Italy and I just that I love that film I need to watch that film again um soon it's just such a it's just it's just a happy film it makes me happy so, um, and i've wanted to go ever since then but never had the chance so that is that's amazing um, it might not stay that uh, deserted for too <laughs> long you <laughs> might not be as peaceful to read your books as you want but an amazing location not one we've had one uh, had before sort of chateau manor in the middle of a lake on a balcony very very picturesque um so i mean without further ado what would be the first book that you take with you
1: Actually, the funny thing is like when we got in contact the first time, of course, I wrote down my list of my five books. And then at the beginning of this week, I was like, hmm, some time has passed, maybe I should reevaluate <laughs> something has changed. But most books stayed the same and one of them is and I'm currently showing my copy to Jordan for everyone who is not seeing what we're doing here. It's Animal Farm by George Orwell and I've got this very very cute tiny Macmillan edition that is very beautiful but the the pig on the front is actually pretty scary. So I really, really love Animal Farm. It's the first George Orwell novel that I read and I read it this year for the first time. And I discovered that I absolutely love his writing style and also his way of thinking, which I like for everyone who does not know George Orwell he was a journalist and he lived like in the 20th century. And with his novels, he always took because he was a journalist before a political journalist. He always took something that was going on in politics and put it into his novels and in animal farm we basically follow a farm of animals and they start an uprising against the farmer and they sort of like drive him out and then it's their farm it's animal farm now and you see how some of the animals develop like a hierarchy and at first it all starts very well that everyone is working together in order to maintain the farm they have got projects etc but then you see how within the hierarchy like the gap starts to widen between the ones that are at the top and the ones that are at the bottom and it really explores that even though you know comparable with the state even when it starts from a point when you're like yeah this this is good they've got their independence etc they've got their own, own rules but you can see that it doesn't matter who it is it can always escalate if you're not careful. So all in all, because it is packed into this like animal context, it is very easy to read also from his way of writing, but the message behind it is so important and so impactful. And it really, really stayed with me to be honest. Like it was one of the reads that I always catch myself. Like I think at least once a week when I'm thinking back and I was like, Yeah, yeah, crazy. Or when I see something on TV or anything like that, it comes back to me so very often. So, yeah, definitely my first pick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Animal Farm, it's not one I've read. It's one that I know a lot of people, my, like, different classes in my school studied it for literature and i think for our political text my teacher chose an inspector calls instead which is a play by Mm -hmm. jb Priestley, which is actually one of my favorites because i um i have a lot to owe my fantastic english teachers uh for my sort of love of classic literature and novels and in particular i suppose ones that have a political basis because i I really like following politics now and I never thought I would um but over the past few years I've sort of really engaged with it and I actually find it really really interesting like there's a particular radio show I listen to every day because their political show is just really excellent and they they yeah they cover everything to do with parliament and that sort of thing and generally make fun of them which is great Um, but political journalists do satire in a a really amazing way and I didn't actually know George Orwell was a political journalist because having just having never studied him or really read any of his stuff but I imagine that gives him a really good sort of grasp of those dynamics and a way to sort of demonstrate them metaphorically um to deliver I suppose really impactful message Animal Farm I mean it is a classic uh, which is a good one. Did you uh, did you ever study it? I don't know what kind of books you guys study. <laughs> no. Like I mean for oh, oh yeah, for everyone who does not
1: know, I'm not from the UK, probably maybe you can hear it from my voice. I'm from Germany actually. But uh, of course we also study books in English class at some point. And we never did. And literally the first thing that I thought when I finished the book was like why did we not read this because it's not, it's not that hard from its writing style and it's so vivid and you can imagine it so well because it's about animals. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not something abstract and we read such abstract books and ah,
0: like it, sorry, ugh. listeners can't see <laughs> the way Marie sort of clutching it, just like to de- illustrate how abstract the books were, which just that just really made me laugh. Yeah, I completely get that. I would have happily traded in of mice and men to to study Animal Farm. I think I if, I apologize to anybody listening who doesn't like who really likes of mice and men, but I hated of mice and men. <laughs> i think it was because we studied it right after i studied pride and prejudice and um you know we were pulling all sorts out of pride and prejudice where you you know you pull a quote and you talk about you know different things that were happening at the time of publishing and sort of women's roles and class, the class system in the UK which you get few and far between opportunities to discuss because people like to pretend it doesn't exist and um, it's we've gone from that to Of Mice and Men where the analysis was she wears red lipstick that means she's dangerous and <laughs> That was the sort of extent of the um, symbolism. And I was just, I just remember reading it and I just, I I don't get on with John Steinbeck's work. I don't know whether it's, I think it's because maybe the period he writes in doesn't necessarily engage me or something, but I would have happily preferred to study animal farm, I think.
1: I wish that the listeners could have seen my face because my first thought was, when a woman who wears lipstick is dangerous, then so many people need to go through their daily lives with so much anxiety because uh, there's
0: so many women just, who wear it red It was lipstick. just like, ooh, lipstick. Ooh, it's red. Ooh, red, the colour means danger. It's like, stop, please. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, it's not a book that I got on with. I didn't. It, there are a few books that I used to love English literature because reading for homework was you know my ideal thing I read anyway so being able to read books for my homework instead of having to do you know science and maths and all that sort of thing I preferred that um, but there were a few books that we were st- that we studied that I really didn't enjoy and then um, making myself read them was hard of my men was one of them the other one was atonement by Anne McEwan, and I no, I I just I can't and there's an entire section that is just a like entire part that just doesn't have chapter breaks it's just like a third of the book is just one chunk and to be honest that's arguably the best part of all of it because it's the part that focuses on Robbie and not Bryony <laughs> um so yeah it's just oh yes english you got it you got to it's a great subject but you know it really depends on like who's teaching it and what they're teaching because um i enjoy shakespeare a lot more when i'm not being taught it as well so mm. I think you I don't know it's one of those things I prefer to see so it's one of those is hopefully teaching kids to learn to love reading but you know maybe not always I can understand how it might put some people off as well (laughs) well it's a really um strong tracer out of the gate with Animal Farm a political classic by George Orwell um is that going to set a bit of a trend or do you think uh, we're going to have quite a diverse list? She, she's shaking her head. No. Um, <laughs> so what's the second book that will be joining the list? So the second book, yeah, we're going to have a very
1: diverse mix. And I actually, like when I thought about my remote location, I was like, okay, I've got five books. I don't want to read, like because for everyone who does not know, like also on my podcast, I talk about how I, I of course have my favorite genres like sci-fi and fantasy etc but I try to read as diversely as possible like from different genres from authors from different countries ethnic backgrounds etc and the next one like the first one was a political classic the second one is more action packed but also have like has a love element love focus and it has a love triangle and for the first time it was a love triangle where I was like okay this actually works and it's not putting me off <laughs> and this is the an ember in the ashes series but actually the book that I would pick is the fourth one which unfortunately I don't have a copy of because I've got the paperback copies and it's just out in hardback and you know you you yeah. want them to match so I don't you can't have, have non-matching yet, I, series they won't be the same height <laughs> <laughs> It's a true struggle. (laughs) So, yes, it would be A Sky Beyond the Storm by Sabata here. And in general, the Ember in the Ashes series is sort of Roman Empire inspired. And we follow two main characters. The first one is called Laia. And she is from like a scholarly background from her family. But her family gets raided so to say and her brother is imprisoned and her parents die and suddenly she's very alone and she joins the how are they called the rebels (laughs) the rebellion so to say underground and they give her the task to infiltrate like the the sort of military academy of this empire and within that military academy she meets one of like the top soldiers in training Elias
0: and, duh, love interest, huh? But is, is he by the, any chance the first male character she meets in the book?
1: <laughs> I don't think so, because before he comes in contact with, um, with the people from the rebellion, so he's not the first, but let's say he's the one who leaves the most impact. <laughs> And the only reason why he is actually starting to become more positive in her eyes is because he is definitely not behind everything that the the government, like the, the emperor mm-hmm. does. He is also questioning a lot that is happening within the military academy. And so they find some common ground and they develop first a friendship and they sort of start to overthrow everything and this really sets the entire four book series in motion and I really 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 enjoyed the fourth installment because I thought that it wrapped everything up absolutely perfectly and I hardly ever had it with a series where I was hooked from like book one book three was like for me personally the one that least drove me forward in the story like from a personal understanding and then with the with book four I was like oh please let this be like the first book and not like the third and it really really was such a great ending of course I can't spoil it so I can't talk about the book itself but in general this series is such a great recommendation for everyone who loves action, who also loves fighting scenes, but you know, not, not like with guns or anything, but like, you know, with real, like real weapons. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the, the love scenes, everything, like it's so well written. I really, really love Sabata here as an author. And whenever she comes out with anything else, I will immediately read it because it's her writing style is just impeccable.
0: Yeah, she's one I've heard quite a lot about because, I mean, she's quite popular on various book platforms and that sort of thing, but she's not one that I've ever got round to. I only asked her about the whether he was the first one she met or maybe the first new character she met because I tend to subscribe to the Scooby-Doo um, school of thinking um, in that, generally speaking, in Scooby-Doo, the person behind the mask is the very first person you meet who isn't in the group <laughs> um and is the same with YA novels and love interests so the, the love interest of the book is the first person you meet who's not in the group <laughs> um sometimes there's, there's there's exceptions but most of the time not um you say there was a love triangle um I mean just based on how you've set up the series I'm gonna I, I kind of have a feeling it's probably a love triangle of between Elias and and some guy in the Rebels so that she's got torn alliances? Actually (laughs) actually like
1: yeah like if if you really really want to like push it that far Mm. there is maybe like (laughs) a love square so to say so there's there's a there's like two love interests for Laya, one of them being Elias. And there's two love interests for Elias, one of them being Laya. But the other one, who is like his best friend Helene, who is also a soldier in the military academy, but like she really, really is in love with him. But he's not. He's just into Laya. Oh. And like like this situation, like overall, it's just like Mm. like it's, it's not that you're necessary like for me personally but for, for everyone who has read the series or wants to read it i personally never really really rooted for helene and elias to come together but i think every one of us had that moment in life when you had a crush on someone mm. and they either didn't know about it or they didn't return it towards you and you feel so much for Helene. Even though maybe you're not necessarily like, yeah, you're
0: definitely the better choice, but you're like, oh, I know how you feel. So, yeah. (laughs) I think the unrequited love of the best friend is, I, I kind of understand it and I understand why people root for it and that sort of thing. But in my opinion, especially when it's the main character's best friend or one of the main character's best friend, I generally don't I kind of resent the best friend for having the feelings mainly just because it feels like they've I don't know it's like you ruined it it's like no you were best friends what's wrong with being like really like the platonic best friends like why can't you just love each other without it being anything else why have you had to you know you're, you're the one ruining the dynamic you're going too far <laughs> and it just used to um I just I'm always just like no why why can't this just be enough I remember that would be my general vibe with uh, Simon and Clary and the Mortal Instruments I just remember just being like come on Simon don't be that guy <laughs> don't, don't be that best friend <laughs> um but it's, it's always good because it adds a little bit of angst and um, yeah. longing and all that sort of stuff into the story. <laughs> um, and I imagine um has some great conflict in it. St- I think it's a series that's been on my radar for ages, and I feel like I've had... Uh, is it the only series re- she's written? Because I feel like I... Oh, I thought I've seen yeah. her name under... Like, it could all just be the same series, but the different books that I've seen published for us. I thought I'd saw that she'd um done something else but um I at least I think
1: so I think the I think An Ember in the Ashes was her debut and then because because she always like takes a little bit of time between the books but then they come out so well that everyone's like yeah Mm. do it (laughs) yeah yeah so she finished off the series I think in the end Of 2020. I think it was October or November or something.
0: Oh, so it bodes well for what series she might do in the future. Or maybe it's maybe. She might go into standalone. I don't know. It feels like a lot of authors kind of do the big series and they maybe go into standalones or some shorter series and then and then sometimes they revisit it. So you may end up getting a fifth book for it. That seems to be the trend. Wait 10 years since the last book came out and then just release a sequel that no one really asked for. Uh, but hopefully, um, she doesn't. Because you said that you've you're very happy with the way things ended, which is rare, especially in a four book series. Definitely, I really,
1: really hope that this ending just stays as it is because I thought it was absolutely perfect.
0: Absolutely perfect. You can't really be in that. Um, okay, so the fourth book in the Ember and the Ashes series. Uh, What is the third book that will be joining your very, already very different list? Okay, so we had
1: like political journalism, we had action and love triangle squares, however you want to call it. And now we have something around the topic of sisterly bonds. And the first book that I had actually chosen two months ago or so was Five Dark Fates by kendara Blake which is part of the Three Dark How was how is it called Three Dark Crowns?
0: I think Give so, me a second. Sounds... I
1: I have to google. <laughs> what is the first book called? It it's it's Three and Crowns, but what is the what is the word in the middle? Three Dark Crowns. Ah oh, yeah, okay. Yes. My memory is better than I thought. Trust your best, <laughs> trust your first instinct. <laughs> yeah so definitely it's a five book series i think 5 or 4 so it has it is a bit of a longer series but it's so very great in its origin story so to say because we have a fantasy set up on an island that is ruled by a matriarchy so we have a queen who is ruling over the islands? And we have got several clans on that island and all of them have different magical abilities. Some can see into the future, some are very gifted when it comes to war, like they throw or they shoot an arrow and it definitely lands in the mark, etc. Then we've got the poisoners who are very good with either mixing poison and or that they can ingest anything that is poisonous and it doesn't bother them. We've got That's the elementals who- I was going to say that's a very yeah. practical gift, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially for a queen. It's like okay, no one, no one can argue with yeah. And we've got the elementals who, of course, can uh, work elemental magic, and we have got the naturalists who have got like animal companions, and they can grow. Stuff. So this is like something very flowery and very beautiful in its magical way, and they are not really they're not really foes or anything but they are in competition because every time when a queen sort of ends her reign and it's not like that she dies but over this island rules like a divine power (laughs) that they sort of worship and when the divine power thinks oh this queen has like served her purpose she gets triplets and it's always triplets it's always three girls that she
0: gets I see I like the idea of being a queen but that just sounds like a lot of commitment and hard work to sign yourself (laughs) up for yeah and
1: she always gets triplets and each of the triplets has a different power and Mm. like it depends when the queen like sort of steps down sometimes they're actually pretty young like just in their 30s sometimes they can be a little bit older but, in that moment, when they have the triplets, they are not queen anymore. They have to leave the island behind with their king. They just go to the mainland and are never being seen on the island again. Oh, and I wish then was the triplets-
0: a really depressing metaphor for motherhood. <laughs> just- yeah: <laughs> Yes, you're no longer important now that you've given birth and served your purpose. Mm. Go away, disappear. Um, <laughs> sorry. that <laughs> just gonna be really dark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's fine actually I can, I can make you happy again because it's not too dark because we get one spin off book where we actually follow one of the queens who is giving birth to uh, the three main characters so to say in our actual book series and she actually talks about how happy she is that her triplets come early because then she and her husband who she actually really loves can go to the mainland and have their life, because from the day that she was born, she was, and this is where we come back to the actual story, Mm. because you are basically given as an infant to the clan that also has your magical ability. They train you. And then at the age of 16, the three sisters come together. They have never seen each other before. Mm. They come together and they fight each other to the death until one queen remains. Yes.
0: Wow, and that's, that's some family drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: And the queen in the spin-off series, she talks about how all her life. It was just about, you have to train, you have to become the queen. This is your destiny. We prepare you for every queenly duty that you might have. And then at the age of, I think 34 or something, she was, she was like, okay, great. I'm still so young. I can go to the mainland with my husband and live my life and do all the things that I want. I can travel, I can do whatever. You know, so yeah. she, she's fine. She's fine. Okay. There are also pros to that. But of course, before you are queen, you have to kill your sisters. And when I...
0: these three main... Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, and also know that when you eventually give birth to your three children, two of them will, will be killed by the other. It's just, that's just very... That's a that's a lot. Yeah. Do. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, um, like Kendra Blake, it's not her first series that she put out. Kendra Blake is actually very known for her more dark books, but the setup of the overall story is very dark. But how the story develops and how these sisters develop a bond even though they have not seen each other for so so many years is actually very beautiful. And this is also why I loved how where we started in the series and where we got in the end and of course like along the way it's never all happy ending because it's a very dark setup like you said but overall it's just very very great and this was the book that i had actually chosen a couple of months ago but then now two months later i was like okay like sisterly bonds would I reevaluate and the other one that I would potentially pick would be Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen concerning the sisterly bonds? Because what I actually really enjoyed about that book was that, of course like the sisterly bonds back in the day they on the one hand they were your best friend on the other hand you were always like oh no we all have to find a husband <laughs> oh no she's getting married before me yeah oh no at <laughs> least in this ball, she did not behave the way how she should have oh my fortune is ruined
0: oh yeah. dear. yeah the the sisterly bond in pride pr- the sisterly bonds in pride and prejudice are really interesting because obviously the five for anybody who hasn't read it the five um the main character is one of five sisters, and they all kind of need to go and find themselves at least half decent husbands because, um, you know, classism, sexism, misogyny in the UK in the eighteen hundreds. They, their house is going to get given to their cousin because none of them are boys. Um, when their father eventually dies, so they need to try and go, try and marry well so that they can at least continue to live a semi comfortable life. Um, after that happens and uh yeah they're very different dynamics because you've got the eldest sister who everybody likes because she's lovely and she's very very close with the second eldest sister who's the main character Lizzie Bennet you've got the third sister that nobody likes out of all five of them really for no fault of her own I mean she's a bit of a know it all and she can be a little bit Pious and uppity sometimes, but for the most part, that she's really quite harmless. <laughs> and I actually feel really bad about how she's <laughs> dealt with at the end of the book. And um, then you've got the fourth sister that I feel like should be the one that nobody likes, but she's very close with the youngest sister, who's very impressionable. Um, oh no, it's the other way around. I always forget that Kitty's older than Lydia, but Kitty's very, very easily led by Lydia. So Lydia's the youngest; she's the one that nobody should like. Kitty's just very easily led, and. Um, yeah the the, Lydia doesn't really comport herself in a way a lady should uh in those days apparently um as although I suppose maybe if you look back on it I I don't know I mean I still don't necessarily think she acted like a good sister even by modern day standards (laughs) um but uh yeah but the way that those sisterly bonds sort of work because even despite a lot of things that go on they all still look out for each other but then they're also fight and that sort of thing it's just it's it's a very it's not a relationship dynamic that's actually explored that much when you study Pride and Prejudice which is a shame because there is a lot there they tend to focus on the love interests and sometimes the parental um relationships Mm, I find Mr and Mrs Bennett's relationship absolutely fascinating because it shouldn't work but it does (laughs) sort of ish most of the time (laughs) and uh yeah but the the relationship between lizzie and jane is probably the nicest one because they are so close and even though jane is the most beautiful and the most wonderful everyone likes her the best um lizzie's never jealous or envious and she never holds it against her and they're all they're even though it would be very easy because the two of them are compared quite a lot because they're quite close in age and that sort of thing um, and it would be an easy route for most authors to go down um, with that kind of dynamic but it is an interesting one so you've got those two sisterly dynamic books uh sister dynamic books um so i mean i suppose spoilers but um in three dark grounds you have the three sisters who even though they've never met strike up a bond seems like a ill-advised thing to do when you've got to kill two of them
1: <laughs> definitely but uh, let's say that the ceremony when they when they are actually supposed to like show off their powers and then in like an epic battle or maybe a very quick battle depending on the actual strength of strength of the powers it does not go down the way it should
0: Oh, goody. Throwing, I will leave it at, at this. Overthrowing divine intervention. I bet everyone loves that. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds really great. So was it Three Dark Crowns that took the place in the end, in the showdown, just just about, yeah. just, just about clenched it? <laughs> uh, why, why just, I mean, briefly, if there is a very specific reason, why did that one just take it over? Pride and Prejudice alternates. I think
1: it's how you. I I think you actually summarize Pride and Prejudice really perfectly because you've got five sisters, and you there are at least at least there's at least one that you really don't like, Mm -hmm. two that you're more indifferent about, and then two where you're like, yeah, this is like a very very healthy sisterly bond that they really try to lift each other up, etc but in Three Dark Crowns, because they all start off from like such a low ground and all of them start to develop so much as characters. And there's like at the beginning, I think everyone who reads it at the beginning, you have a sister where you're like, okay, I identify very much with her or I really want her to win for whatever reason. But towards the end, because you get to know so much about the different sisters, you really are like, oh no, I don't want all of them to die. I want all of them to live. And I want them to like grow together as a family again, which is something that has never happened on that island. And I think w- what I really found very fascinating that even though like, it's totally crazy. I mean, when you confront some- someone with a question, you've got three sisters, which ones do you kill? Which one should live? You would automatically say, like, I can't decide, like, what? what is this madness? But when you read the story, because it's so well done, and because of the fantasy setting, you are somehow, like, a little bit detached from it. You're like, yeah, it, yeah you know, it, it's mm-hmm. not real in that sense. And, ch- like, when the first book progresses, you really catch yourself to root for one, even though it's, like, totally crazy to do that and I really loved how the book pushed you in that direction then you really start to question yourself and then it sort of guides you through the whole story that takes like so many turns because the the ceremony where everything should go down is towards the end of book one Mm -hmm. and when you right now know okay there's like four books or something out there you know it's not going to end at that point so yeah, yeah
0: I, I always find that with like um, movies and stuff. If I ever pause a movie because we're at a tense bit and it looks like something bad's going to happen and I've still got an hour left. Well, if there's a fight and there's an hour left, I know realistically our guy's going to lose it because they can't win the fight this early in the film. Um, but you say that, so is do you think from the author's perspective there is one particular sister they're trying to get you to root for or they're trying to get you to root for all three of them and make it even more difficult?
1: I think it really depends on the type of reader that you are. I think if you like, I I mean, this might sound very, Mm. um, very weird, maybe, but I am more of the scholarly type. Mm. And um, I really love to educate myself. And in in my job, I'm also like leading a team. So there's one specific sister that has got these traits where I can sort of see myself in. And there's the other one who's like, very, very kind, like very, very deeply rooted within her community and in her friendship. And this is very different from the other sister because she's always like, oh, this is the queen. She's so like, this is the future queen. She's so strong and she's sort of like raised apart from a lot of people and they're just like three or four like main characters that are there for her. And the other one is very different because she's so very rooted within the entire community. And depending on what traits you have in yourself, I think it is very easy to have one specific sister that really speaks to you.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You tend to sort of, I don't know, you gravitate towards characters that um, you feel resemble yourself. I just I, just because it often when there is that sort of dynamic, it is very much you there's almost one that you feel like you, you're you supposed to root for. And then there's the one you actually root for because of your own personal feelings and that sort of thing. Um, so that's always interesting that they incorporate that. I know I, I tend to root for characters that I suppose I personally like a lot more. I think that was one of the reasons why I struggled with Game of Thrones, because all the characters I liked weren't on the same side as each other. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's uh, interesting. Although they may end up... Who knows? we have still supposed to have got three books left of that. Who knows? But um, So that makes Three Dark Crows your number three choice. Very fitting. Lots of threes in that one. (laughs) Um, What is the fourth book that will be joining animal farm and your two ya are they i think they're both ya series yes yes they're two ya series which um are i know very highly esteemed in the general bookish community
1: so the next one is actually like a bit of a newer release it came out last year and it's only a duology so for everyone who's not like oh it's only recommended like so many series. This is perfect because it's just two books. And this book is the second one within that series. Uh, it's the The Merciful Crow series. And the book that I would actually choose is the second one, which is The Faithless Hawk. And these two books were my favorite books of 2020. I really, really love them. And the way how I came to read them was actually quite a funny story because I am subscribed to a book box. And the first book was in there, I think, towards the end of 2019 or something. And I had it on my TBR. But because the cover, I mean, I'm showing this to it's Jordan now. Really Everyone crazy. else can Google it. <laughs> it's, re- it's really pretty. But the first one, I I don't know, like, it did not really mm. speak to me that much. And I could not really like fr- from the from the back from um, from the synopsis i could not really grasp whether this would be something that i'm very interested in so i laid it down for like a couple of months and oh, then yeah. in 2020 i just like randomly was like okay what do i want to read you know in the book subscription box, they always say that they read the books and they only put in the ones that they actually really really loved and i was like you know what i will just tackle my tbr and just read a couple of them to get the feeling, you know, whether the book box is actually something for me. And I read it and I was so blown away because the fantasy setting of it was so weird, (laughs) but I loved it so much. And the dynamic between the main characters and especially in the second book, because we've got like two main characters that fall in love and there's no love triangle or anything. Mm -hmm. So it's very like they fall in love then there's struggle along the way and there's like one scene in the second book where you think like everything's lost but then this scene happens and you're like okay yeah the struggle of the last I don't know 300 pages was was worth just for these 100 sentences <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I really really loved it for everyone who does not know the Merciful Crow is set in a world where you have got different castes, and the castes are named after different uh, different birds. So you've got the owls, you've got the phoenixes. The phoenixes are like the the king's family, so yeah. like the ruling class. You've got the swans, and each of them has different magical powers. The phoenixes can conjure um, can conjure fire. You've got the hawks, who are actually very good at uh, like mending wounds and are actually, actually very good at combat and war. You've got the swans who can do mind control. And because all of these different like magical abilities are actually very, yeah, how to say it, dangerous, (laughs) probably because they're very dangerous. They have to like, there's a really strict class system and you know, everything is sort of in order, but, what really strikes this kingdom is a plague that kills everyone except for the lowest caste. And the lowest caste are some of the birds that uh, no one really
0: likes. Uh, they are actually not the pigeons. I would have thought that pigeons would be the choice for I that. Pig- but pig- it's... <laughs> pigeons don't sound very good in a fantasy though, though do They do the, the, the pigeons doesn't have quite the... <laughs> <laughs> definitely so
1: the the bird that they chose for the lowest caste is the crows and the crows do not have a magical ability so of course all the other bird casts are looking down on them and they're like yeah they don't have the magical Mm. ability but they are surviving this plague yeah and so they get the task to go from place to place and like kill the people who are suffering from the plague and like burn them in yeah. order so that the plague doesn't spread so it's just like a final killing blow because actually the plague is so bad and you can't <laughs> recover from it the victims are always begging that they're just that their agony is just stopping so yeah. it's not nothing bad that they do they're just trying to contain this disease and even yeah. though their work is so very important and the whole kingdom would go down if the crows would just be like yeah You know, you're not treating us nicely. We'll just wait till you all die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They are still treated, like, not very well. And at some point, like, you know, they go from place to place. And usually it hardly ever happens that they are sent to a place where there's a lot of high castes living. Mm -hmm. But then at some point, the, like, group where our main female character is traveling with is sent to the palace. And there they are supposed to like burn and kill the prince, because apparently he was infected by by the plague. But and, and this is not really a spoiler because the whole the whole thing would not move forward if I don't tell you this, <laughs> because it sets everything in motion. The prince and his bodyguard are actually like striking up a deal with the like chef, the 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 boss of that group of crows that he helps them escape because they need to escape the palace in order to like overthrow the kingdom so to say like there's i won't go into too much detail because you just have to read the first 50 pages or something and then you're up to that point and the way how this develops how you really see how that class system is not treating the people very well who are actually doing so much for the overall community and how everything develops and how the how the magic is woven into all of this. It's just so great. Of course, as it's always with some books, there are sometimes scenes where you're like, yeah, okay, this might have been like a little bit too much or did this really need to happen? But it's still so, so, so great. And it was my absolute favorite from last year. So definitely a great recommendation. And it's just two books. so. It should be over quickly.
0: I'm yeah. I'm looking at the covers for both of them, and they are both really sort of yeah stunning. They're just kind of um. I really like the, so the book that you've chosen, the Faithless Hawk. Um, you can see the front of the person, can't you? And I like that they've used like the imagery of like the plague doctor mask and that sort of thing into yeah. it. Um, I don't know. I find just as you were describing all of the birds and well the, the bird casts and that sort of thing I wasn't really imagining people I was imagining actual birds having these interactions oh. because I just couldn't oh, like no no I, should, no, I, no, I, I, I know I they're flash. probably people but in my head because you you say I was just imagining <laughs> the birds themselves which was um funny um but yeah and I was just I was also thinking phoenix is is the plural of phoenix but i feel like whoever was inventing the word phoenix probably should have come up with a, a different word for the plural of phoenix i don't know what it would be but it just yeah i just i was just thinking just like ph- phoenix eye ph- ph- phoenix it could ph- phoenix just be a plural like sheep um <laughs> <laughs> uh but it sounds really really interesting and i mean I'm surprised that it was your favorite book of last year because I was, not to, you know, pun intended, but uh, avoiding books about the plague like the plague because we had our very own plague. <laughs> um, uh,
1: the, so, thi- the thing is, I didn't know that going in. Like, I didn't uh, read the synopsis again before I picked it. And I, yeah. to, to be honest, I did not, I, I'm not too appalled by this, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I can, It's I can far be removed enough that it didn't feel yeah.
0: the same. It wasn't like, you know, the people who were sat at home rewatching Contagion for some reason.
1: <laughs> Definitely not. Give me a second because I think what will really help is that I show you the illustration that is on the inside flap of the actual first book because there you see an illustration that was done by the author about the characters, and I will send you the link to the picture so that you can put it in your show notes for everyone who's interested. Give me a second.:
0: <laughs> ah. oh. so.
1: so this is the main female character, and then you when you move to the other side, you see
0: it's the two like- main. Is it fairy loot that do the book subscription that you have? Yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of hidden illustrations inside book sleeves and that sort of thing, don't they? And dust jackets, Um, which are always really, really good. That's really um, pretty. Did you say the author did that themselves? Yeah. That is really impressive.
1: It's super impressive. And Margaret Owen, if you follow her on Instagram, she's also illustrating little bits and pieces for her next book. I'm, I'm a big fan of her, of her <laughs> writing and also of her artwork. So
0: yeah, definitely a great author to follow. Yes, very, very talented. That is um, very nice. I will um, share a picture of that um, with listeners, probably on social media or in the sh- and in the show notes so people can check it out if they want to. Um, okay, so that brings us to the fifth and final book, um, After the Faithless Hawk. What is your fourth choice? My fifth
1: choice is something that no international reader will know, but I have to choose it because it's like the biggest comfort book for me, even, even more than Harry Potter, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's the, and I will translate it into English because it's a German book and it was never translated into English and I can't understand it because it's so good. And it's called Silk and Sword. It's got this very, very beautiful cover. There is like, I will I will, because right now there are new covers out, but I really love the old ones that I grew up with. So I will describe it for everyone. So the first book in this three book series is Orange. And you've got a cloud at the bottom, like a very, very big cumulus cloud. And on there, there are three people walking. And at the top, you've got this very beautiful illustration of like a Chinese dragon, relief. And the author, Kai Meier, is actually very, very famous here in Germany. Like, it's, like, this is a middle grade book. Maybe I should say that. It mm-hmm. It's middle grade. And I read it when I was, I don't know, how old was I? 12, maybe? And then consecutively, I read all the other books. And I really, really fell in love with the way Kai Meyer really set up this series because we follow... Like the most of the story takes place in China, but the, we actually start off with our main male character who is actually from Italian descent, but he is living on a cloud together with his clan. And then you're like, he's living on a cloud, what is happening? And actually there's like a piece of machinery that was invented back in the day in Italy that helped like sort of like water particles, etc., to solidify enough to form a cloud where you can actually build houses on. And the cloud has been circulating around the world for like 200 years. And then for, and in the first book, unknown reason, suddenly the machinery is not working anymore. And the cloud starts to descend and is stuck in like between three mountains in like (laughs) in a big mountain range. And people are like, oh no, we're stuck. What did we do? We need someone to help us to fix the machinery. And they sent down one of their people in order to like find a way to fix the machinery. And this like boy that they sent down because actually because they've been living on the cloud for 200 years, they're very afraid of the actual ground and the people who are there because they don't know them they don't know the the way how they speak etc and they sent down this boy who is like very curious and he does not have family on the cloud anymore so he's like what's <laughs> holding me here i'm just going on an adventure and he is going down to china and then we have another main character so to say that we follow who is actually be- because we are it's sort of like ancient China, so there's still the, the emperor, etc. And for everyone who knows about that time and in general about China, like dragons are like these mystical creatures that were very, yeah, very praised even in the older days, but also these days they still have a lot of symbolism. And in this story, the dragons are real but they live very secluded and they move around a lot. So not a lot of people know that they're actually existing. And at some point when they were like resting in a place, the people who lived in the village nearby, like gave them a little child as, you know, like to eat, like take it, don't eat us, eat the little (laughs) child, like this crazy sort of thing. And they were like, oh, this is actually like kind of cute, this little child, and they protect her and they raise her to like teenage age. And then from like she really becomes a part of that dragon clan. And then one day they are just gone. They just leave her behind, no message, no anything. And she's like, this is so unlike them. Why? Like, why? Like, they are my family. They, they would never do that. Something must have happened. So she sets out on the quest to find the dragons because she knows there must be something going on. Why they had to leave me behind. Maybe they were scared that I would get hurt in a fight mm. or something. I have to find them. I have to stay with them. And she meets the boy who is coming from his cloud, does not know anything. And, she, and they both try to help each other navigate try to find a common ground within their overall mission and they meet other people along the way. And I just really, really loved how on the one hand, this story like set up everything around this Chinese heritage. And on the other hand, how it really dealt with the different layers of friendship, how love comes into place at some point, how, yeah, how empires, worked back in the day how very interwoven your struggles can be even though they seem very distant from each other at the beginning and how you can really start to work with each other very well even though you come from so very different upbringings and this is something that i actually really really enjoyed about the series because it really dives deep into how you can overcome your differences and start to work together as a team
0: yeah see this is it's books like this that make me um even more critical of people who don't like to read middle grade because it's too simple um i just because I think you know you do actually get very complex stories for sort of the middle grade age group and you know young readers generally that sounds sounds really really interesting. I'm actually very disappointed it's not an English translation, so I guess I'm just gonna have to learn German so that I can. <laughs> I can read it. Um, how many books would you? Uh, did you say are in the series if you did? Three. So Three. the
1: first one is orange. The second one is blue. And the third one is like a reddish pinkish color. Mm-hmm. And they are called Seide and Schwert or Silk and Sword, Lance and Light and Dragon and Diamond is the last one. And I never really understood why they are not translated into English I mean of course like yeah they were originally written in German and not everything is being mm-hmm. translated but they're actually like especially in middle grade I feel like there's a lot that is being translated into English like for example Cornelia Funke is one of our authors that mm-hmm. is very um, very commonly known like Dragon Rider and uh, in- Thief did- Lord and stuff like that. Didn't
0: she write Inkheart mate Yeah yes. that too. Yes I know that one um yeah she is uh, an author it it could happen because I think I just did a quick google and I read that um Kai Mayer has um a lot of their books translated to English so it could be that they're just working around to them maybe (laughs) hopefully I really
1: hope I really hope so because like he's got an incredibly big backlist like he is one like I think from a male perspective I think like he's like the middle grade author here in Germany. And I don't really know why, like I I did research before. I was like, oh, maybe this is uh, available in English and I can Mm. recommend it, but I could not find anything. I know that there's a comic about it, but it's also in German, so. (laughs) Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know why, because like I read others from his series, but I really, really love this one. But maybe because it's China, it's a very niche, book i don't know
0: possibly they may they may end up getting around to it eventually i mean one of my favorite middle grade series is percy jackson which is obviously sort of english originally because uh rick reardon is american he writes in english um so i think there is definitely an appetite especially for sort of mythology historical based sort of middle ground book so it might be that they're just getting around to it maybe they're just I suppose it comes from demand from publishers and whether they've got an appetite to do it as well. I definitely think I mean I think I I know I definitely personally want to read more translated fiction. And I also definitely want to, I, I really, really want to get to a point where I can sort of at least try and read very short books in other languages because I think we discussed when we um recorded for your podcast. Um like, language uptake, like, uh, foreign language uptake in England is terrible. It's very bad. They don't teach us from, uh, like, it's not part of our curriculum until we are really too old to properly take it on in a meaningful way. And they were not really actively encouraged to continue it. Um, and it's really a shame because, uh, especially Europe and I know Germany and France in particular have such. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, a case in point: um, your English is probably better than mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, would. I would really be interested in reading them. Hopefully, maybe they might get translated. Maybe, or I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. I really hope so. Have they been adapted for screen by any chance? just no they'd they'd be so good (laughs) yeah i mean like they came
1: out I, i remember this book came out when i was like 11 or so and my mom like they there's actually this very cute scene in my head like i was at the hairdresser and my mom was just like browsing around during that time and she came back and she was holding up this orange book and she was like i found the perfect book for you and actually like this book scarred me for life but in a way that has is not related to the book at all mm-hmm. like because my mom was like this is the perfect book i read it i loved it and mm-hmm. then in german class we had to do a book discussion like the first mm-hmm. book discussion that we ever did and we had to make a poster about Mm it and i read the book i i really took because i had already i i think i had like a third of the book left when they said yeah you have to do a book discussion and then i read it so i had a lot of time to prepare the poster and then one evening i just sat down and i really took the time to draw a chinese dragon Mm -hmm. on the poster and it took so long, like it took hours. They're very I, like, intricate. Every, Yeah, <laughs> and every little scale I painted in and then I like circled them with like some gold, like a golden pen and everything. And I really, really took a lot of time to do that poster. And I did the presentation. And then when we got the grades, I saw that I got uh, like, I know I have to translate into international notes. I think it's like D minus. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so yep. so in German it's four minus. Ah, they, we, we like, have numbers now in the yeah. UK. We finally caught. All. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like a four minus. And I was like, why? I didn't think that I was that bad. Yeah. And uh, then I went like to the table of my of my German teacher, and I was asking uh, whether I did something wrong. I don't know. Can I improve something? And then he was like, Yeah, actually, your presentation was really really good, but you did not draw the poster. So I gave you like a six for that and then like a one for the presentation. But because I was like really not happy that you didn't draw the poster, I like gave you like a four minus. That's, that's not and fair. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then I was like, but I did draw the poster. And he said, there's no way that you drew that dragon. It must have been your mother or your big sister or something. And then I went home and I told my mom about this because of course she knew that we yeah. got the, Got the grades for that presentation, and I told her, and she was like, Okay, <laughs> maybe I should talk to your German teacher mm. that you actually spent five hours drawing yeah. that damn dragon. <laughs> and that was actually because my mom uh, was working shifts mm. and my dad too. So my dad was at home, but my mom wasn't. And my dad cannot draw as well as my mom. So there would have not been a way that she could yeah. have helped me with the dragon. And then, like, because my German teacher, he actually really liked me. So he, like, this behavior was so against, like, everything that he knew from me as a pupil. And, like, he was so ashamed
0: of himself. So he he should be calling you a liar. Um yeah no that's that that actually just reminded me of a story from my husband's childhood because when he was uh younger in class um they had to build um a lighthouse model um and it was going to be like a little competition for their homework and his granddad um does wood turning and is very sort of crafty and, and clever so he his granddad helped but mainly to do with just like so he didn't you know Injure himself with sharp tools and that sort of thing because my husband's always been sort of quite good with that kind of thing as well so he made it himself and he carved the wood himself and they you know he used like diagrams and stuff and he did like um he white did his own light he put a light that worked on so you can turn it off and on on the Uh, on it and they painted it by hand and he did he put so much effort into this lighthouse and they you know got the special rocks for the bottom and all that sort of thing and they took it in and um, he was expecting to you know do really well because uh, they'd put so much effort in and it was miles better than a lot of the ones that were also on display and the person who won it actually just bought their model from a shop and actually everyone they told everyone that they bought the model from the shop and they ended up winning and um, to this day at the age of 24 my husband still bears this (laughs) grudge because um, he has like a tiny little burn on his hand because they used a, a hot glue gun
1: it's like a a tiny
0: little spot but he still has it from making this this lighthouse which is proudly displayed in his grandparents house because they were so proud of him for all the work he put into it but um he's he's still very resentful from the teacher for awarding someone who bought a lighthouse instead so yeah all just school projects you've got you've got a girl of them
1: this this is so understandable. I feel
0: so much for you right now. God. Yeah. Oh, teachers, teachers yeah. man. I mean, they they have a tough job, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> they have a tough job. We, we we'll, we'll let them off. We'll let them off on these this occasion for this tri- childhood trauma. Okay. <laughs> so, just for the benefit of the listeners, do you want to summarize your five books before we talk about honorable mentions?
1: Yes, definitely. So we've got Animal Farm, which is a classic with a political background. We've got A Sky Beyond the Soar, which is the fourth book in the An Ember in the Ashes series, which is like Roman inspired and like very action packed with a love triangle. Then we've got, how is it called? Three Three Dark Crown series, but the fourth book in that, which is called Five Dark Fates. And here we follow like sisterly bonds. It's very dark, actually, but it's very, very enjoyable. And I also consumed it in audiobook form. This might also be important and it was really lovely, so I can also recommend that. Then we've got The Faithless Hawk by Margaret Owen, which is the second book in a duology that I absolutely loved that has got a very unique fantasy setting. And then, last but not least, one of my absolute favorite middle grade authors, Kai Meyer, with his Silk and Sword trilogy that unfortunately is only available in German.
0: So, for all of our German speaking listeners, they yes. can go and check <laughs> that one out. Um, well, it's a really great and very sort of different uh, list. Was there any books that you had on your honorable mentions that very nearly made it but didn't quite?
1: Yeah, I I think one is also staying in the like Chinese vibe, Chinese mindset. And this is a book that I recently read and made an entire podcast episode about, which is called uh, These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. It is a Romeo and Juliet retelling, but in the 1920s of Shanghai. So for Ah, everyone, I think the listeners of your podcast do not know this. I used to live in China for seven months overall. And so this whole like Chinese vibe is speaking to me very much and this is something that I read and absolutely loved because it also explored the culture of China really well which I very much enjoyed and then aha very good. is. I've not is. read it
0: yet but I have it ready to read. <laughs> <laughs> very good very good
1: yeah I can definitely recommend that because the second book is coming out I think in October so
0: Yes, our pretty soon, yeah, yeah, Chloe Chloe Gong is very highly praised for that series, I know. And she is immensely talented because I'm pretty sure she yeah. read it while she isn't she in law school or I don't know, she's she's at college and I think she might be actually studying something to do with writing but she's she's very young and she's very talented and I can't wait to see what she comes out with in the years to come she I just love her twitter because um she's in sort of this class I think she might be doing something to do with creative writing I'm not entirely sure actually I don't know where law school came from I think that just I don't know that's my brain making (laughs) stuff up but she um is at college with a lot of students and I think um they had been talking about writing and success and that sort of thing and um she obviously had to sort of casually slip it in there that she she had a book on the New York best the New, York, New York Times bestseller list which um, I'm presuming nobody else in her class could also claim <laughs> um but yeah she's she's very talented I can't wait to read these Violent Delights then our Violet ends because I've already pre-ordered it because I already know I'm gonna love it because it's Romeo and Juliet retold in Shanghai in the 1920s with gangs and all sorts and all of the art all the fan art that's come out around it just yeah. is amazing so I can't wait to read that book <laughs> um, so these Violent Delights um, any other honorable mentions I know you mentioned Pride and Prejudice nearly made it
1: Yes, yes, this is one. And also like the last one is probably the midlight midlight. The midnight library Mm -hmm. (laughs) by Matt Haig, which I also read this year. And this really like this is not YA, this is adult, but it really deals with the idea of the question: what if what would have happened in my life if I made it had made a different choice? And we follow our main character who is like not really that happy with her life. And one night she is transported to the midnight, God, <laughs> midnight library. And, she, and, and this is sort of like, like a place, like a neutral ground, so to say, where you've got this library that is full of books that represent the lives that she would have led if she would have made a different choice at some point in her life and she gets the possibility to explore all these different lives where she, I don't know, where she becomes a rock star, where she has a bar and you know all these scenarios that you sometimes have in your head like for example like for me personally if I would have not injured my foot at the age of 15 would I have made it to the Olympics as a professional swimmer or something Mm -hmm. and these things I'm pretty sure everyone has some scenario in their lives where they're like, if this would not have happened, how would my life had been like? And this really explores how you can like deal with that if on the one hand, maybe you really suffer from like thinking about it too much when you're not happy with the point that you're at in your current life. But like it's not only the journey of the main character, but you also catch yourself how you yourself try to think about these things in your personal life. And I think everyone who reads that book, no matter where you start, where you start, like like me, who's like actually very content with the life that she's living, whether you start from a positive point or when you start from a point that is maybe a little bit more negative, I think in the end, you will come out of this book feeling empowered and much better. So this is definitely something that also nearly quite made the list but as I'm not sure whether I would really want to reread it so many times and to be honest when I'm stuck on a deserted island probably there's not too many choices that I can make so (laughs) in that scenario it's not that relevant for me anymore.
0: Yeah definitely Midnight Library is one that I've heard a lot about. I've never actually read any of Matt Haig's stuff. I have been recommended the humans by matt haig in a previous episode of the podcast i believe it was jess who recommended that from what's was reading and i want i i feel like i should at least try one of his books but i it's like i said to jess when she sort of told me about that book um he's kind of an author i don't know why and i don't know where i got this impression from but i kind of think of him as an author who writes quite sad books about sad things um and I generally don't read sad books for personal reasons because they're just not just not my cup of tea um but um he does actually have quite a diverse range of I suppose narratives in his books and this is an example of of one of those isn't there I think the um alternative life a sort of storyline is an interesting one um taylor jenkins read does deal with that a little bit um maybe in another life is one that i read towards the end of i think 2018 a few years ago um and that sort of shows you just two very specific paths of basically does she stay at a bar with a guy or does she go home with a guy and then you see the two directions her life go in and i was always really irritated when i got to the end of that uh because i know which one of those lives that she should have (laughs) ended up having (laughs) and i was irritated (laughs) um that we never actually got her like she never ended up actually picking one they were just essentially they were played out and then they just were dropped and left there yeah essentially you're just getting two stories alongside each other with those ones but it is really interesting to see the choices we make I definitely like you um have decisions that I made about I don't know the schools that I went to and places that you know people that I chose to continue relationships or didn't and that sort of thing and it's it does really make you sit and think sometimes like oh would I be sat where I am now if I hadn't made those choices it's it's definitely um, food for thought and it also helps you I suppose having that kind of thinking helps you sort of develop and when you move forward and making decisions you know going forward it just helps you I suppose reevaluate you know what's important to you and that sort of thing so it's always a an interesting one the midnight library i know was very highly praised the people over at Goldsboro books in london oh yeah loved that book they um i'm i think it might end up being up for their award this year i don't know um but i know they they gave it a lot of praise as well it wasn't one of their books of the month but they did give it a lot of praise um because if it was one of their books of the month i'd have a copy um because i get those <laughs> every month um So yeah, that's a few honorable mentions, a really, really great list. If our listeners wanted to check out any more of your recommendations, listen to some of your other thoughts about books, whereabouts could they find you on the interwebs?
1: (laughs) Yes, so it's the Child of the Library podcast. You can find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, although I think that Deezer is maybe internationally not the, the most known platform, but you can also find me there. I also have a YouTube channel where I upload my podcast episodes. If you're not subscribed to any of those services, you can definitely visit it there. It's always just Child of the Library. And then you can also see me on Instagram, where it's Child of the Library in one go. And I also have a TikTok, but I have to admit, I haven't used it in a while. So definitely stick to my Instagram
0: because I'm more active there. Oh, I am... I am resisting TikTok. <laughs> Everyone I know says that they downloaded TikTok and it took over their lives because now they're addicted to it. And I do not need more motivation to spend more time on my phone. I already spend too much time on my phone. I'm not downloading TikTok. <laughs> the
1: thing is, I, I think the algorithm doesn't know enough about me yet because, like, I mainly read stuff in English. Mm. But of course, because I'm living in Germany, I get so much German content, also so much content about stuff that I'm really not interested Mm. in. And the algorithm has not yet found out that I mostly just consume English content so right now this platform is not yet giving me the stuff that I want to see so I'm not on there as much to consume so I'm also not on there as much to actually do something and put something out into the world content-wise so Instagram by now is much better at that but uh, yeah yeah I I can definitely imagine that if you like from the get-go get something in the language that you are like Living in, so to say, the most, or that you're like most interested, like in your free time, etc. Yeah, I can definitely imagine how it takes over your life. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I have my own personal algorithm where I don't have TikTok, but um, my friends who do have TikTok send <laughs> me specific videos they know I will enjoy. And therefore I get a handful every week and they get delivered into my WhatsApp inbox. <laughs> so I just watch those and nothing else. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's I have good. a very good friend who sends me stuff that's exclusively just um, Jane Austen related usually Pride and Prejudice or Harry Potter or to do with Scotland because those are, our, those are the three areas I think she uses TikTok for um, Ruby first guest on the podcast um, so she shares those and um, I have my sister-in-law who sends me other funny ones about siblings doing things to (laughs) doing pranks to each other and that sort of thing so yeah I get a very 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 personalized algorithm with TikTok where I just get sent the ones that I want to see and then nothing else so yeah so if you wanted to check out I mean if you wanted to check out more of the episodes of books last podcast much like child of the library where found on pretty much all of the podcast providers spotify apple podcasts all of those places and you can find us on twitter and instagram at the books to last pod um yeah so thank you so much for being on the podcast it's been so much fun i've had such a good time talking about your books um yeah just thank you for sharing
1: thank you so much for having me on and I look so much forward to our buddy read. It's actually the first buddy read that I'm doing with someone who also does bookish content because I've got like a little book club with two of my very good friends but you know it's not the same when you're not like sharing about it on the internet so very pumped for that. (laughs) I find
0: um, readers who don't share stuff on the internet because I've got a few friends who do read but they sort of just read for leisure and they don't they're not on sort of Twitter and Instagram and stuff and they don't follow those kinds of things or any of the book boxes um I find that I just end up talking about books in a lot more (laughs) detail (laughs) than really that this summer of the conversation is oh yeah I really enjoyed it it was funny or it was scary etc which whichever but um yeah always very fun so I'm really looking forward to reading Skyward so Yes, Marie, thank you so much for being with us. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, uh, bye for now. Bye. Hi,
1: I'm Karen. And I'm Colleen. And this is books, movies, and musicals. Oh Oh my. my. Come join us as we discuss our favorite childhood stories in analytical and honest ways. Most recently, we've been discussing Harry Potter and Disney princesses. We have so many more ideas and we can't wait to go through them with you. So keep it magical. And leave a little magic wherever you go. Bye. Bye.